A A A A Schmodcast time. Aloha. Hi. How's it going? It's good. How are you? I'm great. This is our second ever long distance Schmodcast with me, Rachel, and me, Rebecca. Ugh. How you doing, Rebecca? I'm good. I um, because of the time difference, it's late at night for me and early for you. Yeah, I'm in the future. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't wait to hear what's happening. I, I started this by being like, I'm at the very end of a very long day. I don't know how I'll get through it. And then now I'm like really, really excited to see you. And so maybe, maybe this will be a three hour episode. Oh no, we don't have time for that because my, my hotel's breakfast buffet closes in two hours. So. Oh, okay. All right. So one hour and 50 <laughs> minutes. There we go. Important. Yeah. <laughs> So if any of you listened to the last episode, you know that I'm in Turkey, um, and actually today is my last day in Turkey, so I'm just kind of wrapping things up and heading to D.C. for a week before I finally make it all the way back to our home in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, it's going to be so, it's going to be here before we know it. This time's really yeah, that's zoomed true. by. That's true. Yeah. For a minute, I was like, oh, no, did I schedule too long of a trip? And then I was like, Rachel, you flew 30 hours to get here. You absolutely had to stay as long as you stayed. Yeah. Yeah, I I can't imagine a different way to do it, especially like how often do you get to go to Turkey and explore? You don't. You just don't. Yeah. You got to do it. I'm cruise directing this podcast. This is episode 10, which I have entitled, thank you so much, all one word. (laughs) Um, because I wanted to start by just expressing some gratitude that, um, that you've been holding down the fort for me while I'm gone and checking in with me and taking care of all kinds of shenanigans, um, water filter lights breaking and cars breaking down again and so many different logistics and paperworks. And I just wanted to say uh, thank you so much, Rebecca. Oh, Mahalo so much. You're welcome. That's not what mahalo means, <laughs> no, but I also appreciate not. you. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. I mean, when we talked about our PLP plans for our lives, one of the big important things to me was that um, I'm a bit of a nomad and I always, I want to be able to keep being on the move. And as we reach our late thirties, um, it's, it's kind of tricky to want to also settle down And so Mm -hmm. it's really, we're still, you know, we're going to be tweaking this for forever probably, but I really, I'm really enjoying the balance we've found where I feel like I have a stable relationship and home and job and I can go wander and explore and express that, that sort of travel bug nomad side of myself. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. I'm I'm struck by it. Like it makes me really proud of, of us and like happy that you get to do that, that I get to do that. Yeah. I'm also really enjoying like taking care of things, knowing that you'll come back and appreciate it. So yeah. yeah. And we can trade off the next time you want to go wander somewhere. I will stay home. I can't promise I will do as good of a job of taking care of all the things <laughs> that break. Um, but I will, as evidenced by your last trip, I will try to keep all the plants alive for you. So that that's good because, um, one of the plants is not making it right now. <gasps> Which one? It's the lavender in the living no, room. Why? Uh, it's we just cannot drowning. keep lavender alive. We cannot keep it alive. I, 
let me tell you, I have not watered it because it's it's too wet. And yeah. I was like, dry out, baby, a little dry out. And it just was like, I'm, I'm just drowning. I don't understand. Stop. I feel like we haven't watered that freaking thing for so long and it's somehow the soil is always wet. It could be that Ruby it's sitting by watering an op- it? No, I think it's sitting by oh. an open windowsill and it's just like raining nice. all the time. I had put it by the window because I thought it would get sunshine and dry it out. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we move it next to your arrow garden for a minute to get it some like UV light. That's a good idea. And then it'll be sitting under a ceiling fan. Maybe that'll help mm. it dry. dry we have had, out. For, for our listeners who don't know, Rebecca and I have had a total of three lavender plants in our lives and two of them died basically immediately. So I don't know what we're doing wrong. I mean, both from, well, one was overwatering. One was chicken attack. It got chickens to death. That's true. It got chickened, which is why and we that's didn't not our put fault. this one out. No, it's not our fault. We can't be blamed for the chickens. They apparently love lavender. They just would peck which its little leaves off and relax. Which is why we got it. We were like, they're going to love this little lavender. And then they killed it to death. Ridiculous. <laughs> Well, so for this um, episode, um, we've got our intro. We we don't really have a connects and corrects. We've got hot tops and we've got an outro. So I'll just kind of cruise direct us along here. Our intro is just, what you doing? <laughs> something that happened in your life this week or today, um, or something that you feel proud of accomplishing or a challenge that you overcame. Tell me all about it, Rebecca. Oof. Okay. So... As part of an update, and I'm happy to unpack any one of these four items, but not all of them because we have places to go. But these are things that both one thing happened today and the rest of them all happened this week. Number one, one of our chickens died, BB. Yeah. Well, she was the wild chicken who moved in with us. So she's like kind of ours, not ours. I don't take full responsibility. Ours. Yeah. Yeah. Half of our chicken died this week. And number two been battling a broody chicken named Rena. Number three, I promise they're not all chicken related. I made us a new friend named Rhonda. And item number four, my left leg fell in a pond. Just only your left leg. You only get to hear the unpack of one of these stories. And I'll save the rest for later. I know, isn't that fun? Okay, well, I think... (laughs) <laughs> I think our listeners would probably be most interested in either of the chicken stories. I feel like I really want to talk about Rhonda when I get home and I get to meet her. So tell me about yeah. your left leg in a pond. You said not our pond, a pond. No, our pond. Our pond. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just only your left <laughs> yeah. leg. I need to know about Just this. only my left leg. Okay. So let me paint you a word picture in case you haven't seen our house, everyone, dear listeners. All right. So we have a pond right in front of the, the like off the lanai. So if you're sitting there, you can see the pond and it's pretty and it's good small. size. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not massive, but like as far as backyard ponds go, I think it's a pretty good size. It's probably 10 feet across by like four feet. And then its deepest section is about two and a half feet. I've measured yeah, that before. It's like it's bigger than a bathtub, but you couldn't sit in it on a raft. No, it's actually quite impressive that you could even lose a left leg into the pond. Yeah, that's so, why this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So so here's what the most important part about this and what enabled this to happen is that we have this like there's a wooden bridge that runs across the middle of it. And it's pretty sturdy. Not like super sturdy, but like pretty sturdy. And but I walked like, across what, this. What do you think? Three feet long, four feet long? 
Yeah, about four feet long. It's right down that narrow part of the middle. And it leads to the waterfall feature. And I walk back and forth across it, mostly for cane toad capturing, but also for like pulling weeds off of the waterfall feature. And um, like today, it was raining. And as I was walking across, it was kind of slippery. And I was thinking to myself, self, one of these days, this bridge is going to give out. (laughs) Anyway, probably not today. Probably not today. So I'm... I'm trying to fix the, we have all these plants in there because we're making like a cool aqua garden and we have these gorgeous hyacinth that have taken over one half of the pond, but because of the bridge, they're stopping and they're causing the little water, water feature we have there to fall over because it's just like being crowded by plants. And then the water is getting pumped out of the pond and then it's draining empty. So I was like, let me move these plants under the bridge into the other half so I can like relieve the pressure on the water feature. So I'm using a stick like you do and I'm moving all of it around and I moved a little bit to get into a better position. And one of the little like wooden slats on this bridge just like broke right through foot right on in. And then of course why it was only my left leg is because that's what fell through and I caught myself on the rest of the bridge. And so just, just one, one little leg. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Did it injure you at all? I have approximately two to three bruises, but nothing broke the skin. So I didn't have to get a tetanus shot. Okay. So basically it was like a devastating injury in Rebecca's terms, but for most of us, we'd be like, I was fine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, but you would tell people if you accidentally had one yeah. leg fall in a pond. Like, that's I, funny. It reminds me of the time that I broke our neighbor Sandy and Cooper's chair with my butt, and I told everybody about that. <laughs> I sat on the chair, and it broke. Yeah. 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 And actually, similar to this problem, that the once I, like, I picked the, like, wooden slat out of the pond and was like, it just disintegrated in my hands. And I was like, oh, oh it's. Oh, okay. Yeah, we got some wood rot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is good to know. Is the bridge really ugly now? Did it ruin the pond feature? You know what? It didn't improve it. And so I put the broken slat on the side of the yard so I can think about whether or not we just want to like put it back in place so that aesthetically it appears better, but like maybe then put a sign up that's like, don't, don't step on this. (laughs) A sign because of all the, the members of the public who step on the bridge. Well, there is one rather precocious um, five or six-year-old that yeah, I don't true. want, but he wouldn't probably read a sign, so I don't know. I don't think he goes on the bridge either, actually. I, I think I've only ever seen him out on the periphery. No, oh, no. He's, he's, he's a bridge, bridge walker. Who do, who do you think inspired me to bridge I walk? Know. I know. I've never it's walked across the bridge. I, have, I avoided the bridge the first probably like six months we lived there until we even like tested it out to see if it worked. And then I've been on it, I think, once. And I'm like, nope, I'm not. It's going to break just like Cooper's chair. Yep. Well, I was cocky. And I do actually think the the like solid soaking of rain is what made yes. it like yeah. not super stable. It was completely reasonable for you to think that you could stand on that bridge, especially when you were trying to do nice things for the pond. So I'm really sorry that happened to you. Also, that's really hilarious. And I wish I could have seen yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and you're in luck that you're not coming back too soon because I'm going to have time to fully heal myself before you get oh, back. Oh, good. So you won't be crying <laughs> as much when I get back. That's really Yeah, but I'm it. still... I'm still going to text you like pictures of bruises and complain yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, well, tell me like what you doing. 
Oh man. Well, um, I think one of my big successes this like last few days in Turkey, I was, I was really surprised how expensive the food here is. Like it's not crazy expensive, but it's not cheap. And Mm -hmm. all the different cities I've traveled to, I've been trying to find like street food, just like, you know, a couple bucks for something like hot and delicious takeaway style. And I've really struggled with it. And I think part of it is that I would like wait to eat until I was like really hungry, at which point you're like, fuck it, I'm just going to sit at this restaurant and pay 20 bucks for a meal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I finally, and I've been like asking friends and colleagues that I've been traveling with, and we've all been really surprised that like food is more expensive than we expected. And, um, finally these last few days, I'm, I, I moved to like a different hotel for my last few days to be in a different neighborhood where it's a little cheaper and mm-hmm. girl, there is so much street food, like so, so much. And maybe people also misinterpreted what I meant by street food, because there are definitely like street carts that have like corn on the cob and like chestnuts and things like that. But what I'm talking about is like very small storefronts that have like fresh juice and shawarma and mm-hmm. like takeaway pide and other like um, Turkish food which they didn't have in the last few areas where I was living like a little bit, but not a lot. And this area Mm -hmm. has a ton of it. So I've been trying some really cool um, street foods and I'm really excited about that. What do you think the difference is? Do you think the neighborhood you were just in was like more touristy? So they want people to like go into restaurants. Yeah. I think the last, like, I think most of the areas I've stayed in were very touristy and this one is by a university. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's like a lot of students and, um, I think that's why I think, I don't know, but it's great. So that's, that's a big success for me these last couple yeah. of days. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I'm Thank you. you. That out. Thank you. I mean, traveling for so long, um, is very, um, financially draining. So I'm mm-hmm. happy to find a way to eat for cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Especially cause like, I don't know when I'm displaced like that, I like it. And I also, I get to a point where I get like a little itchy in my skin, especially when I can't like control my environment. Yeah. 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 And so like, like yesterday for lunch, I just like stopped at a little, um, like we, in Morocco, we called them hanouts, like a little, Mm -hmm. a little, um, storefront that sells like basic groceries and cigarettes and bread and fruit. And, um, I got just like different kinds of weird chips and candy <laughs> and a yogurt and uh, uh, a container of pomegranate seeds, like fresh pomegranate and some juice and some pistachios. And I was like, this is lunch. <laughs> I brought that home and I'm, I've been like eating on that for two days in addition to the hot street food. But yeah. Nice. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much. <gasps> Such a good episode name. I didn't I realize how much we say that to each other. We say it a That's lot. So fun. And I love it. <laughs> So that was our little intro, our what you doing. And for connects and corrects, we're just blowing by it this time. We don't have any major connects and corrects. We're going to go straight into hot tops with one small caveat is that um, I am in the land of Rumi and I wanted to take one minute to give you a quote by the, the poet Rumi. I've got one for now and one at the end as a Rumi. sort of connects. Um, Rumi is you know Rumi well, but for any listeners who aren't aware, he's a 13th century Persian poet and Islamic scholar and a Sufi mystic. And he spent a good portion of his life in a place in Turkey called Konya. 
Um, so I thought it was kind of like a good a good episode for me to mention Rumi since I am in Turkey. So mm-hmm. the my quote to get us started is, what you seek is seeking you. Mm. I find that really comforting. It's a good reminder as a wanderer as well. I love that. It's nice, right? Yeah, and this isn't a hot top, but it should maybe it'll be a future hot top. It just reminded me, so I have to share it. I just recently finished Matthew McConaughey's kind of autobiography. Oh my god. Kind of just like handbook for living. Is it so and much friend, philosophy? If anybody thought he was just a pretty face, y'all, no. He got a brain in there. And <laughs> let me tell you. Or a great co writer. <laughs> I don't know. I'll Google I will Google that before I fully endorse double M, but okay. for now. I gotta say, um, no, he had some sort of a thing about letting the the target draw the arrow rather than like trying to aim it or whatever. And I don't think he was crediting himself with that quote. He was more just like sharing that as like, he had a whole bunch of like bumper stickers from life kind of sentiments, very like Matthew McConaughey. Um, Anyway, so just maybe inspired by Rumi. It's like a Rumi hand-me-down. And I just, that's so funny. That's good. Yeah. Our, our lives always seem to have these um these things happening in parallel me with Rumi and you with Matthew McConaughey fitting it makes yeah. sense <laughs> okay well hot top time Chiquita do you want to go first or do you want me to how are you feeling I'll go first actually go. um so in the same vein of like keeping you updated these would have been things that you'd witnessed if you were still in the house but since you aren't I'm going to regale you <laughs> it's called Cooking mistakes with Rebe. Yay! Fun. (laughs) I have a few things to share. Uh, One of them was well, this was okay. Tarot that came in our CSA last week, and so I was like, I'm gonna make something with the tarot. And for anybody who doesn't know, it's a like. Well, I'm sure it's it's prevalent in Micronesia, but it's like a very Hawaiian thing to have like cooked tarot, or they make tarot chips, or this other thing called poi. And it's basically a root vegetable. It looks like a purple sweet potato, mm-hmm. but on the so, inside is kind of a whitish color. T A R O. There's no additional mm-hmm. T at the end, so don't get it confused with tarot card readings. It's a vegetable. Oh, good point. <laughs> and if you were gonna say tarot in Hawaiian, you'd actually say kalo, which is just like totally different. Yeah. But that's a way to not confuse it with tarot the cards. But anyway, tarot the root vegetable. I was like, cool. I'm gonna like. I'm gonna. Um, use our KitchenAid like vegetable spiralizer that my sister bought us and I'm gonna spiralize the that and potatoes and make these little like hash brown nests and freeze them so that we can then have yummy yummy breakfast yes you used to make those amazing root vegetable frozen nests Mm -hmm. of delicious and they're so cute because you just like wrap around all the spiralized root vegetables into a little nest and then you put a soft boiled egg inside so it looks like an egg in a nest. Oh. Everybody, it's the cutest. Making me hungry. So I was like, yeah, I was like, I'll make a whole bunch. I'll freeze them for Rachel. She'll be so happy. Well, here's what I didn't know, y'all, is tarot is super difficult to handle when it's raw because it makes your skin super itchy if you haven't oh, treated it. no. And you know what I didn't know? That, any of that it's information. The fire ants of root vegetables. Yep. Um, so let me just tell you what it is so that you never do this. And then I will tell you what happened to me. 
So um, there's this, this um, all through the skin of the tarot, there's this like super, super alkaline chemical called calcium oxalate. And uh, what it's doing is it's getting in your skin and it's actually hemolyzing red blood vessels. <gasps> so like you're, you, you have this sensation of like burning because all of the little like capillaries are exploding just like right under the surface it of your skin. It explodes your capillaries. They explode. Yeah. And, and it's, it's very, like it's alkaline. So it's basic as it's like the opposite of acid, but it's still kind of that similar sensation, but it's less stingy, more itchy. It's how you know it's alkaline. Well, it starts off like a slow burn and I'm like, uh, peeling them you know and that's getting all the skin just like right in there and then i'm handling them because i got to slice them and put them on the spiralizer so they're way more in contact with my hand than i think a normal way you would prepare them which would be like peel them real quick and yeah, then boil, boil them. them i sustained hand contact and uh for a long time and got like a, a significant I- surface area too because of the spiralizing yeah, just right all o- all everywhere on the hands. And so then it got to a point where I just, like, couldn't concentrate anymore. And I was like, I think I'm going to die. And then I wasn't, but that's just how I felt. And then You didn't die? No, I didn't. This is not I the part die. where you tell me you did die and you're a ghost? There was a minute where I thought I'd ingested some because if you <gasps> ingest raw tarot, you actually could die. <gasps> and so <laughs> I got, like, I had, like, a little bit of a, like, itchy lip situation because I'm oh, sure no. at some point I, like, touched my Wiped face. your mouth. Like you, yeah. Well, like a human being. So um, anyway, then I had to, like, run cold water over my hands for what felt like an eternity. That did absolutely nothing for me, much like all burn problems. That the, the first step never does it. And then I soaked my hands in vinegar, pure <sighs> vinegar. Oh, my for, God. For, like, 45 minutes. And it oh, my felt God glorious like a hammam spa magical luxury because it was just an immediate relief yeah like like if you get fire anted and you jump into a cool lagoon it just yeah. it doesn't fix the problem but it makes it go away and then Better. i just left my hands in there long enough that the um the acid and the vinegar could kiss the base in my skin kiss it all away until it just like disappeared did it stink so bad though do your hands the vinegar? still smell like vinegar no, 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 no. I mean, it did at the time, but it was, it was like, I'm trying to think of like any kind of antis, like if you have like any kind of smell, like, um, oh, what's like Bix cough syrup doesn't actually smell but good or like Robitussin, but it smells good because you desperately need it. You know, that mm, sensation. Yeah. That was the, the, the vinegar smell was hope. It smells like hope. Here's the thing, Rebecca is like, I'm not itchy. So like, if I come back and you still smell like vinegar, it's not going to smell like hope to me. Could So if just, just, I need you to do this for me. Okay. Thank you so much. I need you to assess before I return. If you still smell like vinegar, just sprinkle some dill on it so that I'll think about pickles. Well, what do you think about the fact that I've bought so much incense, almost like the <laughs> lifetime supply of incense? But is it going to just be a? It's going to smell like incense on top of vinegar, like you know how some bathroom sprays just make it smell like floral sh- poop. But you can still smell yeah, the poop. Yeah, that's why I don't like Febreze because I know. I know you just you just covered up your dirt with your flowers. Dirt yeah, flowers. but like, um, you know what? That's a great question. <laughs> and here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't know okay. if you know this about vinegar. If you just like leave it out, you know, on a counter or whatever, it'll just evaporate into nothing. Not yeah. as fast as rubbing alcohol, but it will go away. 
So I think it's safe to say the vinegar will have dissipated in the 10 days since this happened to when you arrived. Okay. Home. Okay. I just needed to know that because um, it's, yeah. it's really, we do these podcasts for me so that yeah, I can um, feed my own ego and make sure that I'm going to be comfortable. Show me your hands. I want to see, I mean, podcast people can't, okay, your hands look okay. They don't look haggard by the vinegar. Are you doing okay? No. Are you feeling better? Yeah, because because here's what ultimate joy. I learned a bunch of stuff about tarot, deep dive right onto chemistry. Yeah. And I got to use my science knowledge to save yeah. my life. So you got that to was do science. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was not pleasant and I just really feel like the CSA people probably should have slapped a warning on that root vegetable. Did, is it not listed on like the little handout they give you? Why would I have read that? That's what I'm saying. I knew for sure you hadn't read the handout. So no, maybe they did put a warning label on it. It's impossible to find out because that's long gone. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll, we're definitely going to get tarot again in the future. And we'll look for the label to see if they do one. Also, I think it's such a common um, vegetable Food here, here on the island. They assume you know this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's as obvious to, to them probably as like, don't eat the banana peel. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Like they don't put a like, label on that either. Only dum-dums would just like not do that. Um, yeah. And then for anyone out here who's now afraid, let me just let me just assuage your fears that here's what you do. People are like, I do gloves, I do whatever. But number one pro tip, skins and all, just toss them into a pot of boiling water and boil them for about five or ten minutes and it just gets all the yucky yucky right out. Thank God. And then you can let them cool and easily peel the skins off. And then bonus there, the the skins are really easy to take off just like okay. when you boil potatoes okay. with skins on. And that is um, that was recipe mistake number one. Oh, that's mistake only number, number one. Yeah, number two. That was the best one. But number did two, did all the mistakes involve hurting yourself in some way, or did some of them just involve food not being very good? It's mostly foods not very good. But the taro nests ended up being tasty. By the way, there's about oh, ten of them in the freezer for you. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. I super cooked them too because once I was aware that if you ingest raw taro, you could die. I was like, we're we're just overcooking. <laughs> Gotta make sure it's brown not nests. raw. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've tested one already and didn't die. And that was a whole twenty four hours ago. Oh, so I think God. we're I think we're cool. Um, no, the one I wanted to talk about is an ice cream disaster. I had our neighbors Tracy and Scott over for fancy pizza night dinner <sighs> to celebrate our one year anniversary of living in Hawaii. I had them over and wanted pizza, so I made pizza. And then I also, on a whim, was like, I'll just try to make some ice cream from scratch I, like I used so to funny, do. Rebecca, because I was just thinking about this recently. I was like, huh, we haven't made ice cream since we moved to Hawaii. I need to remind Rebecca that she has to make me ice cream. But you did yep, it anyway. Well, I did it. And I wanted to give it a go because I was curious what it would be like making ice cream in the tropics. Because you have to yeah. like freeze the thingy and it's got to stay cold long enough to make the ice cream frozen and I wasn't sure how that would work in 80 degrees um didn't help that it was like in the same room the kitchen as the oven that also makes things hot but I think the number one mistake I made because it didn't taste good our friends (laughs) did did actually eat a couple of spoonfuls and I was like this isn't good y'all let's not keep doing it before you invited them to try it I was making it as they showed up. I was like, we're giving it a whirl. Oh, no. It wasn't good. Thank God it, it was, was nice in, people. 
Yeah, it was mint ice cream that I that I picked the mint from our lanai. We have an, that herb garden out there. Yeah. I picked a cup of mint and um, made the ice cream from scratch. Here's the problem. This is the thing that was wrong. We don't have the little, like, baby food processor thing we used to have. That part broke on the immersion blender, like, a long time ago. Oh. And I didn't want to buy a whole new immersion blender to get the little baby, like, the little, like, nut chopper attachment. Okay. And you're supposed to, like, nut chop the mint with the sugar. And then you, like, that becomes your sugar that you then put into the ice cream base. Okay. And I was like, how important can that be? I'll just, like, I know. When do I ever do this? So I was like, I'll substitute and do, like, a mortar and pestle the mint leaves and then put that in with the sugar and let that mix and then put it into the ice cream base and you let it, like, sit for 30 minutes to, like, marinate in there. But the flavor didn't transfer very well, oh, and I don't... I do think different mints are different, too, so it might also depend on, like... Because I think we made one in D.C. <clears throat> once with a mint that just wasn't very flavorful. But anyway. Yeah. And, well, I think I used coconut sugar instead of, like, granulated oh, white sugar. So it was many just too many substitutions. Yeah. <laughs> it was just probably one to two really too many substitutions. really slapped that together. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just, you know me, I like, I like the process of making things sometimes more than I like the actual finished product. And, um, anyway, so in the event that Tracy and Scott ever hears this episode, I did want to just apologize. That's a little baby correct. Cause I know that wasn't very good. Tracy, Scott, if you're listening, (laughs) I promise to never make you disgusting ice cream and then make you eat two bites of it and pretend to like it. I I didn't make them. Oh. I didn't make them eat the second bite, just the first one. I just, I promise you. And then I realized it was bad. (laughs) Rebecca is normally not a bad cook. So please still be our (laughs) friends. Please. Oh, Lord. What did you do with all of it? Did you just throw it in the trash immediately? Yep. It was that bad. I I didn't, not immediately. I left it in the freezer and thought about how I could fix it or make it better. And then um, couldn't. And it wasn't. It just wasn't good. It wasn't terrible. It's just like you want ice cream to be like sweet and good and yeah. not um, bland and boring. And that's what I I wonder mean. if you threw it in the blender with some Hershey syrup, if you could just make a chocolate milkshake out of it, though. Oh, probably. Yeah, because huh. it's it's basically just frozen cream and sugar. It's just, like, that's it's just flavorless ice it's cream. It's just the base. It's flavorless <laughs> ice cream. Not even vanilla, just literally flavorless. Yeah. You could put in like a banana and some um, oh, yeah. Hershey's and make yourself like a banana milkshake out of it. Yeah. This so is what I'm good for. it's still sitting in the freezer. Well, we got half of a of a canister in the freezer that we yeah. can just try to do stuff with smoothies or something. Cool. Tracy, Scott, if you're interested in one of our banana <laughs> chocolate milkshakes, let us know. If you're so traumatized by your disgusting fake mint ice cream <laughs> experience, we will not force you to consume any more of it. We promise right but yeah i do i do see an ice cream redemption story coming in yeah. the future i'm gonna get yeah. this i'm gonna get this sorted <laughs> okay yeah which maybe because i potentially lost a couple of friends is why i was like trying to scoop up a couple more before you yeah back. just, just in you. case just yeah. in case Ugh, if i come back and find out we have fewer friends than before we're really gonna have a problem not on purpose. You can't get mad if it wasn't on purpose. I know. And actually, I know you made us like a thousand new friends since we were gone. So it's great. Yeah. 
Yeah. And also, I, I really don't think that they're mad at me. Cool. I don't think and they don't could know. be mad. That's another topic to explore in the future. Did you have another mm-hmm. cooking mistake? Um, no, this one was a great invention. Because oh. I got a whole bunch of lily koi and I juiced it. And I made, I figured out how to make passion fruit margarita spritzers. Yes, you did. And even more interesting and fun, because I don't always love tequila. I found that the no tequila version is even more delicious because <gasps> I put like lime juice in it. So it's just a passion fruit spritzer. It doesn't have to be a margarita spritzer. It's yeah, just a passion fruit need, spritzer. You don't need any alcohol. It was delightful. And then I put like a little lime wedge in there. I want that. Yeah. Well, I juiced like 15 passion fruits. So there's a whole jar for you. Oh my gosh. Were these, were these passion fruit that were growing in our yard or did you get them somewhere else? About three or four of them came from our yard and I was saving them in the freezer. (laughs) I, um, but our other, well, not, well, hopeful friend. Doug, other neighbor that I met, um, he has like passion fruit like crazy and just offered me some. And then like 20 minutes later, came back to our driveway with like a full bag of passion. I mean, it was like three pounds of passion fruit. Oh my gosh. That's way yeah. more passion fruit than we've ever harvested. Amazing. Yeah. So now, now we know where we can get a bunch of passion fruit so and much. Then we can just like juice it all really quick. Yeah, it's uh, we're finally learning how to actually implement what our friends Jesse and Liz taught us when we first moved to Hawaii. They said, if you ever see someone buying avocados or bananas, it means they don't have any friends. <laughs> right. And like, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. basically now we're, we are getting to have enough friends and know where to go that we don't have to buy the things that are just like growing freely in everyone's yards. This is awesome. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about that. And I think it was just two mistakes and a win. That's that's the cook that's the cooking finale. (laughs) Amazing. I'm super (laughs) impressed. I and you're making me so hungry. So I think I'm gonna have to get some street food. I know, or eat the rest of the weird chips that I bought and cookies. Are any of them taro? Just make sure they've been cooked. No, they're not. They're corn. I don't think they have taro here. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 A lot of corn. Well, my um my hot top is not related to yours for once. <gasps> I think we've been away from each other long enough that we didn't just magically pick related topics. Oh my god. Do you think that I the know. magic is gone? No. I actually <laughs> I think I think that's part of the magic. Um, mm. So my hot top is to explain to you and to all of our dear listeners, what is the evil eye? Yes. 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 So you've seen those, the blue symbols of the eye. You've seen the, the hand symbol that sometimes has an eye in the middle of it. Basically, mm-hmm. like we've become familiar with this symbol because of our international travels and like global culture and stuff, but I was like, what the heck actually is it? Especially because it's extremely prevalent in Turkey. Mm -hmm. So here's my deep dive on the evil eye. The evil eye, which has like a million different names and a million different languages because it's like super prevalent in so many different cultures, is the supernatural belief in a curse that can be brought about by a malevolent glare, usually given to a person when you're unaware. So it's like, if you're not looking, 
someone might like give you the evil eye and curse you. Oh, it no. dates back about 5,000 years in various religions and cultures, but the earliest known belief in the evil eye predates ancient Roman and Greek times. So it's super freaking old. It's mostly in the Mediterranean region. And most cultures in the Mediterranean believe that receiving the evil eye can cause misfortune or even injury. Mm. I would like you to guess, Rebecca, knowing that it's mostly the Mediterranean region, can you guess approximately what percentage of the world's population believes in the evil eye? 10%. It feels like it should be like 10%, right? And I would be surprised to hear 25. It's 40%. Now, what is what what constitutes belief? It's a great question that Wikipedia did not go into. Because here's here's where I'm wondering where they get their stats. Like I didn't fill out a survey, right? Nobody asked yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. And I rather faithfully wear my chumsa that has yeah. the evil eye in it. Yeah. 24 7 365 i think it's probably a loose definition of belief and it's also probably based off of their just like these various cultures have this belief and how many people are in those cultures but still i i don't i didn't bring it up so that we could tear apart the stat no um, i was I just i'm not I'm not, I'm not i'm not trying to pick it apart i was I just know. like am i in that 40 percent i think probably i think probably i wear it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And so for anybody about, who's wondering, it's a gold bracelet. That's all I'm talking about. Yeah, she's wearing a gold bracelet with a hand on it. But basically, <laughs> it's like, what percentage of this huge, huge world that we're in has some kind of like contact with connection to the concept of the evil eye? Yeah. It's about 40%, which is That's a amazing. Lot. Yeah. Yeah. So in a lot of cultures, the way, um, the like the idea of the evil eye is that over-complimenting and envy are both said to cast like the evil eye curse. Oh, so, okay. yeah, or like in in ancient times, um, there could be any kind of like malediction, like something bad happens to you, you could be like, it was the evil eye, you got the evil mm-hmm. eye. Mm-hmm. The idea is that someone can cause you harm simply by looking at you or your property and being like oh. jealous of it, basically. Mm-hmm. But have no fear. Protection is super easy. You just need a talisman. You can wear it, you can carry it with you, you can hang it in your homes, and mm-hmm. your talisman will like block the evil eye. And most of those talismans use like the shape of the eye in some way. Yeah. So, yeah. The really old versions of those talismans were made of ceramic or clay, but once they learned how to make glass beads in the Mediterranean region, which was around 1500 BC. Amazing. Yeah. That's when they started making evil eye beads. So I've always seen these glass, the the blue glass evil eye beads. And I was like, okay, they've taken some ancient tradition and probably in the last couple of hundred years, like popularized it. No, ma'am. They were using those glass beads. It was popular with the Phoenicians, Persians, Greeks, Romans, and Ottomans. Like, I mean, also talk about like having longevity. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for those of you who haven't seen one, um, the, the, the glass evil eye is usually a disc or a ball and it's usually got concentric blue and white circles. So from 
inside to outside, it usually has a dark blue, light blue, white, and then dark blue again. And that's supposed to look like an eye. And I mean, it really does. Um, mm -hmm. So these are super popular in West Asia and the Balkans, but Turkey is where it's the very most popular and you see it everywhere here. Houses, vehicles, people wear it as beads. Um, we have some in our house all over Hawaii. I think we've gotten them as gifts from people from a variety of different cultures. Yep. Um, and then another really, like my last sort of interesting, uh, well, there's an, besides the blue eye, like we mentioned, there's also sometimes the hamsa, the hamsa, which is also very common in um, Jewish tradition. It's a symbol of a hand um, and sometimes called the hand of Fatima. In Morocco, we mostly, instead of seeing the blue eye symbol, we saw mostly the hand, um, mm -hmm. the hand of Fatima. And the hand okay. often has a little eyeball inside of often. it. Often. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's less, I mean, when you look at it, you're like, that's a hand. Whereas these blue ones that you see around Turkey, you're like, that's an eye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is I there wondered any, then, like, mm -hmm. oh, go ahead. I was just curious because we have several and we often hang them like by our front door or around a lot of entrances to the home. Is yeah. that like the traditional yeah. place or is that just like where you put them? Okay. Okay, cool. Yes. Entrances to things um, to ward off any potential like negative energy entering that space. Yeah. Um, but you could put it anywhere. So last little point here is that the belief in the evil eye is also found in Islamic doctrine. So it kind of helps make sense like how it's lasted so long, especially in the Islamic world, um, because it is noted by Muhammad, the prophet. And um, mm -hmm. so a lot of Muslims have like authentic practices for warding off the evil eye. So for example, most Muslims, if you are complimenting a child's beauty, but you don't want to be seen as like over complimenting them because it might bring about the evil eye. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying like, your child is so beautiful, you say, mashallah, which is sort of like God has willed it. So you're just like bringing God's blessing on something that you're admiring. So you see a really cute baby. And instead of being like, oh my God, he's beautiful. You're like, mashallah, mashallah, your baby, which made me think of... Remember in our early Hawaiian lessons by Akela on the public television network, she said that in Hawaiian culture, you don't call a baby beautiful. You call it ugly. Yes. Yes. <gasps> Evil eye. Do you know what the word was? I couldn't remember and I didn't look it up, but there was a really cute word for like, she's like, don't be dismayed if you see someone like complimenting a cute baby by calling it ugly. And I was like, how did this, how is this a, like a concept in so many cultures in so many different ways that to avoid like envy or misfortune, yeah. we're going to, we're not going to say, we're not going to compliment something. Right. I, yeah, I don't remember the word, but we're going to look it up because yeah. everybody's dying now. This is, the, this is basically um, I'm just Malcolm gonna, all over again. Yeah. I'm also just going to start saying this in English. <laughs> Like when I, when I meet, I'm going to be like, oh, what an ugly baby. So ugly. And I'm going to see how ugly. that goes. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be great. Yeah. Well, 40% so of the people you meet are going to get it. They're going to get it. <laughs> At least 40, because that doesn't even include Pacific Island cultures that still call babies ugly, even without necessarily believing in the evil eye. 
Yeah. I love that. I love the idea too, that we can find like the Hawaiian version of the evil eye and like track that back. That's so cool. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Rachel. Uh, thank You're you welcome. so much. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So, <laughs> so those are our hot tops today. Everyone's learned so much about cooking tarot and ice cream and Lily Koi and also about the evil eye. So for our outro here, um, I just have a question for you since I'm traveling, which always means carrying books with me that I don't end up reading as much as I thought that I would. Uh, I wanted to ask you, (laughs) what's one of your favorite books of all time and why? I'm sure you're expecting me to say Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights, but no, that was, (laughs) that was a surprisingly enjoyable, um, and not my favorite book. Yeah. It's in the, it's in the current fave five, but not the all time. Uh, this was a, this was a thinker because I end up having, I, it's hard for me to pick a best overall book um, because there's just so many amazing books. But I, I think the one that has been my longest favorite, in part because of the, the impact it had on me, was House of God, which is written by Samuel Shem. And this book is, it's a satire about the medical industry. It was like published mm-hmm. in the late 70s by a person who had like gone to medical school and finished their residency and then eventually like turned into an author and wrote about his experience. Um, the popularly TV show Scrubs references it a lot. And it used to actually be required reading for medical students. And since I was pre-med a long, long time ago, this was a book that was like recommended to me and I read it. And it just like it really helped me distill down that like will I or will I not like go to medical school and like what does this mean for me as like a human mm-hmm. being because the the things that are happening in this book again full satire are extremely dark sometimes hilarious sometimes raunchy it's an it's a really good read I do think anybody should read it except small children but wait till you're older and then you should definitely read it <clears throat> but it's um it's also really dark because I think most people have a perception that like medicine and hospitals are like places of healing and only like good things happen. And this was, this kind of showed like the opposite of that, which is like how difficult it is to be a person trying to like take care of Mm -hmm. the world's sick. And, and also like how hospitals had become more like money-making machines at that point and like moved away from actually like healing people and comforting them and rather just like creating new revenue streams and channels. And so it's not to say that that's still true, but this this book is often considered the impetus for why um, people in their residencies like had a cap on the number of hours they can work a week. Like that mm. that got that law got passed like uh, just a handful of years after this book came out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was um, it's a hilarious book. It's a heartbreaking book, and it's one that I've read many many times. And um, we actually have a signed copy from the author in our house. Oh, I need to read that when I get home. Then yeah. It's one of my. I think I always breeze treasures. by it because it's really long. No? Uh, yeah, it's it's not. Thick? It's a schmedium. Okay. No, no a, I don't know pa- why. It's a it's a little paper. You know, it doesn't look that appetizing. It's just a <laughs> yellow book, and the cover's just like I mean, blue like House of God or whatever. You know what I mean? It's not it's not like House of Spirits where you're like drawn immediately to it. I think you kind of <laughs> yeah. have to know. I was like, is this um, magical realism? No, I'm moving on. No, it's exactly <laughs> quite literally the opposite. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think if nothing else, I think you would enjoy. I think um, I would. Yeah, yeah. If for no other reason than to know that it had like a big impact on me. Yeah, and and how I look at all of that. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, my favorite books are basically anything ever written by Paolo Coelho or Barbara Kingsolver. Ugh. But probably the like a really impactful book for me in the last few years that I just could read a thousand times over and over again is All About Love by Bell Hooks. Mm. It was just mm -hmm. super impactful. And so, um, but like when I mentioned Paula Coelho and Barbara Kingsolver, I'm like, those are sort of more engrossing, like feel good plot, plot driven. Whereas Bell Hooks is like a little bit more philosophical, more about like how you actually think about life. So kind of for mm -hmm. different moods, but those are some of my yeah. my faves. And then I'm I'm closing out with another uh, quote by Rumi. He says, "There are a thousand ways to kneel and kiss the ground. There are a thousand ways to go home again." So that's oh, I love that. It's nice, right? Something I'm kind of thinking about now in terms of like um, being a wanderer who also has a home. Like, what does home mean, and what are the ways that we carry it with us or go to it uh, physically, um, spiritually? metaphorically um so there are a thousand ways to kneel yeah. and kiss the ground there are a thousand ways to go home again that's really beautiful and i like the idea that we just get to have multiple homes then kind of everywhere yeah. we go we leave a piece of us there we take a piece with us and actually yeah. our house itself has like all of these great mementos from our travels um but yeah yeah anyway, that's all it's true just think it's really cool so anybody who wants to contribute an idea for a hot top or wants to um, offer a connect or correct or even be featured on an episode, let us know. If you know us personally, call, text, email. If you don't know us personally, we've got schmodcastthepodcast at gmail.com and on Instagram. That's it. Thank you so much. Beep, bop, beep, beep, bop, bop, boop, 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 bop, bop, bop.